News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Right, time for us to check in and find out what has been going on in the United States all week long. There's certainly no shortage of headlines every single time we talk to our Washington correspondent for Global News, Reggie Cicchini. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Can we start with TikTok this morning? Because I feel like the rumblings in the U.S. are getting louder on this. They are getting louder. And what's interesting is that they have bipartisan sounds in the background uh, in that there are Republicans and Democrats that are looking for the Biden administration to do more in ensuring national security is not put at risk. And there is pressure now mounting on the White House to potentially ban TikTok from coast to coast in the United States. The White House calling on TikTok to die divest itself from its Chinese partner. Nobody wants to comment on that request. Beijing is pushing back at that, saying if the U.S. has national security concerns, you know, they should deal with it themselves with their own data monitoring. But ultimately, this is now following a pattern of what we have seen around the world, where governments are increasingly concerned that China could be spying on Americans and American assets via TikTok. Right, because we've seen this in Canada, where all the governments, the B.C. government, the Canadian government has said they don't want TikTok on any any kind of government issued devices. But this goes way beyond that, right? This is this is the U.S. saying we don't want TikTok at all. At all. Yeah, this is it's already banned on federal uh, devices. There are a couple of dozen states that have already banned it on their state devices as well. But if uh, TikTok doesn't divest itself, there's a real risk here that every single American could find themselves unable to access TikTok from whatever uh, device that it is that they're using. Worth pointing out, TikTok CEO is expected to testify uh, on the Hill next week. So there could be a bit of combativeness between what lawmakers want and what TikTok says. TikTok's kind of press releases and responses to the media are pretty targeted and direct with their refusal to believe the kind of accusations being put at them. There will be a lot of unhappy people. There will be a lot of unhappy, uh, unhappy younger people if TikTok is taken away because it really has become the go-to social media site for you know pretty much everything. Right. And so interesting because like China exerts a lot of control over the social media apps that are allowed to be used in that country. So I guess it'd be kind of hard for them to criticize the United States over doing that. Yeah, absolutely it does. But also at the end of the day, the Beijing government has total control over pretty much everything. And a lot of the information that these companies get in is kind can be funneled back to the Chinese government. And that's where the concern yeah. is. So China may say, look, we don't want you, you know, telling us what we can't do. But at the end of the day, the U.S. is saying, well, look, we don't want you finding out things about us if you really shouldn't be having it. Okay. Although in some cases, I would say that maybe the horse has left the barn on this one, right? Like the information's all there, but we'll find out more about that. Right? Is that this week they're going to talk more about it? Uh, they are expected to to testify next week. Uh, so so okay. that that's one to watch. Okay. One to watch. Also, let's talk about this whole drone situation with the Russians and the Americans. What I saw the footage of this. It was really quite something. It's remarkable to see this, um, and it is the closest that uh, that Russia and the United States have come to being in direct confrontation in a war that the United States is not involved in. And it really started to raise that concern, Simi. Is this going to be something that potentially triggers um, an Article 5 in NATO because you had Russia destroy uh, a piece of military equipment that had nothing to do with the actual war? What happened? Well, the, the this Su-27 Russian fighter jet clipped uh, a drone after a couple of these 
jets had dumped their fuel on it over the Black Sea. Russia says that these drones were headed towards their territory. You know, whether that means Russian territory or Crimea, we don't know. The United States says no, this was simply a surveillance mission that has been going on in the region for years. At the end of the day, the United States said, look, this was probably just an accident. We will just kind of yell at the government of Russia and let them know that they did wrong. And experts say that was probably the diplomatic approach here to ensure that something didn't escalate far beyond what took place in the sky. Even what we saw, though, was a bit of an ex- um, escalation, wasn't it, Reggie? Because the Russians were claiming it never happened. And the Americans said, well, not only did it happen, we're going to show you it happened. Absolutely. And look, even after that tape came out, the Russians were still pushing back at it uh, by saying, look, there was um, an aggressive approach that was uh, approved by higher levels of the Russian government, but they won't talk about the actual incident uh, of one plane touching the drone, which is why the U.S. calls it an accident. And sure, Russia said that it didn't happen, even though we could we could plainly see it. Um, and, and the United States, the National Security Council, the Pentagon, saying that this was um, unprofessional behavior, but also that it shows that Russia is building itself up here on a campaign of lies, whether it has to do with how it is interacting with NATO Uh, when it comes to the Ukraine war or what it actually did in Ukraine. Okay, and here we are on item number three already. And it's only now we're getting to Silicon Valley Bank. And this crisis, I mean, I know this week there was a lot of concern that this was going to spread. How aggressively did the U.S. government act on this? Well, they acted quickly and they faced some pushback from Republicans who who believed that the government was essentially bailing out this bank that wasn't doing um, its due diligence to ensure that it was able to ensure that its deposits were going to be uh, safe. The government says, look, this was not a bailout. This was money that was used to assist this bank uh, by by ensuring the deposits and they're using um insurance kind of fees that are paid into by the big banks and it wasn't you know backed by taxpayers dollars ultimately though it did lead to a ripple effect there was uh, that bank shut down signature bank in new york was shut down by regulators uh, first republic uh, third republic had to be sh- uh, uh, bailed out by other banks just within the last 24 hours with 30 billion dollars so there's a concern here that these small niche banks that are catering to one um, industry or really high wealth individuals are putting themselves in a situation of the money potentially not being safe, but you also have the government saying, look, we will ensure that this money is insured because this is a country that can't afford to go through another financial crisis less than two decades after the last one. Are there concerns that there might have to be more bailouts? Well, the concern is not so much that there might need to be more bailouts. There are concerns from Democrats that more regulations need to be put back in place. Many were rolled back during Donald Trump, regulations that had been put in place to ensure that the 2008 crisis wouldn't happen again. So instead of saying, look, we need to have the government prepared to go into X, Y, and Z bank, lawmakers are saying we need to ensure that these banks are not catering themselves into one industry, that their portfolios are diverse enough so that if there happens to be an incident, they have other, you know, clients that they're able to to ensure is not going to result in a run on their money. So they're calling for regulation, not so much bailout. Okay, a couple quick things too. This Texas abortion pill case, what is this? Well, we're waiting for a decision on this. This is a group of uh, anti-abortion advocates who sought out the most conservative court they could find in Texas to say that an abortion pill that is uh, widely used in half of medication abortions in the United States should be taken off the market because they say that it was... uh, 
it's not safe, that they don't trust the, the efficacy of it and the, the cl- clinical studies for it. The issue is this has been on the market for more than 20 years. And the question was, why didn't they do this before? Ultimately, the arguments were made. The judge is going to make a decision. It is a conservative judge appointed by Donald Trump who has in the past clerked for um, anti-abortion and and, and pro-life agencies. An appeal is going to go to the most conservative appeals court in the country. So this is raising the question of not only why are we calling into question what the FDA does, but also about judge shopping where people can go and find the specific court that they want that may be sympathetic to them. The end result, Simi, if this decision goes forward and an injunction is put in place, the entire country would lose access to this medication abortion pill. Oh, boy. Okay, I can see why everybody's watching that case. And you mentioned Donald Trump there, too, because that news is also imminent, potentially. There's a lot of news about Donald Trump that is imminent right now. In the last 24 hours, uh, we found out that more than a dozen, two dozen of his staff members at Mar-a-Lago have been subpoenaed in the documents case as the special counsel is looking to get more information. At the same time, There's a chance that a grand jury in Manhattan could uh, uh, indict Donald Trump on state charges, and that is linked to the hush money payments that were made to Stormy Daniels. We've had uh, claims over the last couple of days from Trump's lawyers that he's a victim of extortion, trying to kind of get around the incident here. But ultimately, with the 2024 election a year and a half away, you now have a real possibility that there could be an indicted candidate running for office. The Constitution, though, says nothing about being indicted, which might not actually get in his way. As always, fascinating times. Reggie, that went by so quickly. Uh, Thank you for that. Thank you. That's Reggie Cicchini, our Washington correspondent for Global News, with his weekly Cicchini check-in where we wrap up what's going on in the United States. And clearly, that was a long list this week. So I look forward to talking to him again about all that, too. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, you don't have to have a drink today. It's because it's St. Patrick's Day and it feels like that's what everybody else is going to do. I mean, you don't have to. So many people have had a dry January and they stuck with it maybe for dry February. And sure, maybe you had a couple of drinks in March, but it doesn't mean you have to go completely off the wagon for St. Patrick's Day because the truth is, even Stats Canada will tell us, there are fewer alcoholic beverages being purchased and consumed by Canadians out there. And you know what? There is a whole business in providing non-alcoholic beverages to Canadians. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about right now. Fiona Hefer is with us, the CEO and Creative Director at Sansorium. Fiona, thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning. What is Sansorium? We are a non-alcoholic marketplace, so we import and distribute to retailers all across the country alcohol-free wine, alcohol-free beer and spirits and ciders and ready-to-drink cocktails. I looked at your website. And I thought, well, wait a minute, this looks just like alcohol. It looks, just like, it looks like a liquor store, essentially. Yes. I took a nod from the alcohol industry, for sure. We wanted it to be a space that people felt excited to shop at and didn't feel like they were missing out on anything. Is that, do you feel like, what stops people from just buying something or, or having something that is a non-alcoholic beverage? They feel like they're missing something? Totally. I think it's an incredible tradition. We have lots of wonderful social rituals around drinking alcohol. So the attraction is there, but the side effects and the day after is not always the most pleasant for for a lot of people. So having a really beautiful and high quality alcohol-free wine or beer is an amazing way to segue. Yeah. What got you into this business? Well, our own personal journey, really. My mom decided to go alcohol-free a few years ago, and after trying 
so many of the grocery store brands that just didn't meet the mark. We felt like we could expand our horizons and we looked out to the rest of the world and found such great products. So we started bringing them in. And what has the reaction been like? You know, if uh, if it wasn't great, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, so we have um, expanded retail a lot in the last year because of a demand for in-person brick-and-mortar shopping. So you can find our products scattered around the province and around the country. Um, and I always tell people, you know, check out your local liquor store because they're actually building non-alcoholic sections in liquor stores that you really wouldn't expect in the past. Wait, what? We do stock products. I, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me because I, I'm not a drinker, so therefore I would never go into a non-alcoholic totally. the, the liquor store to begin with. Uh, I know. Is it like a, yeah. a spur of the moment thing where somebody goes, oh, hey, maybe I'm going to try that? Yeah, and I think giving people a place that they're familiar with that is already on their route when they would normally go shopping and normally stop at, I think it's really smart from these liquor stores to keep their customer and to give them an option when maybe they're not drinking for that day or that week or that month or maybe never again, but they can still be a customer there. Do you feel like this is a growing trend out there, Fiona? That That's what we're seeing. I mean, you mentioned earlier that alcohol sales are down and that is consistent Um, and trying alcohol-free product uh, percentages are up. So I think people are going to be just seeking out more options to add into their day-to-day. Right. What is the key, do you think, to making something that is non-alcoholic and successful? (laughs) First and foremost is the brand. I, I know that people buy with their eyes. So they're looking for something that is fun and exciting to, to that speaks to them. Maybe that's something that's local too. Um, there's a lot of great alcohol-free local brands in Vancouver and in the Okanagan. Um, I usually try and promote those on our on our platform. And then the quality. Certainly, um, the best thing is when people try a new alcohol-free beer or wine or spirit, and their eyes light up and they feel like they're still engaging in an old ritual. I see that as the most successful path. And then if they can see how they can incorporate it into their social situations too. So if no one's questioning them why they're drinking an alcohol-free wine or beer, then they'll just feel as if this is part of their normal tradition. And these look the same. I mean, if you're going to pour a bottle of what looks like Prosecco or an alcohol-free Pilsner and it looks the same and it smells the same, no one's going to be asking you really. Uh, you even have things like non-alcoholic bourbon. <laughs> yeah, I have so many questions about that. Like how? <laughs> how? Yeah, these are these are spirits that are micro distilled of natural ingredients to build up the flavor profile of bourbon or gin or tequila. So you'll get that smoke to it, that oakiness to it, um, lots of caramel notes. You'll get a nice little hit at the back of the throat like you would with traditional whiskey. Um, but this is all in the process of the what the makers did. They created that. What is the key, do you think, to having a brand then like, like a non-alcoholic brand of something that is successful? Is it the marketing, do you think? Is it making it seem as close to the real thing as possible? Yeah, for some brands where they're trying to be the alcohol-free version of alcohol, definitely getting as close to the real thing is what I see as the biggest critique um, and the biggest desire from customers. And then there's a whole other category that is not mimicking alcohol at all. And that is um, a, a really growing sector too. So you'll see brands that are 
kind of like an aperitif or a digestive. And those are wild creations that have lots of different ingredients in them. They taste wonderful, but they're not like alcohol. And for people that are trying to distance themselves from alcohol, that's actually a really great route. Okay, what I see on your website is a lot of things that say sold out. So I'm guessing that business is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So we love uh, we love to sell a product. Obviously, we hate being sold out, but the supply chain is a real issue and getting product from around the world can be a bit slow sometimes. So we're working on it. Right. So I would guess that you then, Fiona, would fully support the stay on that dry January, dry February bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Sure. I always say that it's... Um, it's a long-term thing. It doesn't have to be one month where you go super hard. You can come back to it and consistency is returning back to what makes you feel good. It's habit too, isn't it though? Like when it comes to somebody coming home and pouring themselves just a glass of wine in that particular wine glass and sitting down with it. Is that, is that the part of the comfort? Do you think the habit? Oh, for sure. We don't want to, and we weren't prepared to abandon any rituals that we loved um, when we were drinking alcohol, it really was a question of, well, how do I just integrate a new, um, a new beverage or a new substance into an existing ritual? Because I do want to reward myself. I do want to feel, you know, that nice cold beer at the end of a long day. And honestly, these products can do the same thing for you. If your muscle memory was to sit back on the couch and relax in the day, um, I see a real placebo effect with these products, um, with myself and with other people and with our customers. So I think it's worth giving a try. That is so fascinating. Fiona, thank you for this. You're so welcome. Thanks for talking. That's Fiona Hefer, who's the CEO and Creative Director at Sansorium. Check them out online, S-A-N-S-O-R-I-U-M. They are a marketplace for selling all sorts of non-alcoholic beverages, essentially, beer, wine, cider, hard liquor. They've got gin, tequila, bourbon, you name it. And it is all kind of the best of the non-alcoholic products out there that you can buy. And they are busy. A lot of stuff there on their site sold out too, so it must be good. And I know this is a growing popular segment out there. And I think Fiona hit it on the head when she said it's the muscle memory thing, right? You come home at the end of the day, you, your, your habit is to pour something into that glass of, you know, the glass, the wine glass, and then sit down and enjoy it. And you, this still gives people the impression that they're doing that. And she said the placebo effect works. And maybe, you know what, that no, you don't want to go out and, you know, have a lot of drinks for St. Patrick's Day. This is a great way to deal with that too. If you want to weigh in, simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. Could preventing teen pregnancy be as simple as talking to teen girls, the ones who are at risk? In some ways, yes, it may be that easy, but it's the type of connection with those girls that may make a difference. This is all part of the work that went into developing an app. Yes, an app that will supposedly help promote healthy sexual decision-making and help reduce pregnancies in higher-risk teens. Now, one of the developers of the app is UBC nursing professor, Dr. Elizabeth Sawick, who joins us now to talk about it. Good morning. Good morning. Tell me about what went into the development of this. Like, What kind of an app is this? So this is an app called Girl to Girl, which is a text messaging and, and other kinds of, of what we would call multimedia health um, messaging information for lesbian, bisexual, and queer teen girls. And um, this was uh, a, what we call a randomized control trial. So one of the, the most rigorous approaches to testing this information among um, 948 
14 to 18 year old girls who are lesbian, bisexual, queer in the U.S. Um, and and those are the girls that were at, at high risk for teen pregnancy. Is that right? Yeah, our research um, here in Canada, as well as in the U.S. and, and even in, in other parts of the world, like the U.K., have found that, that lesbian and bisexual girls are actually two to four times more likely to get pregnant during their teen years than their heterosexual peers. And and part of that has to do with um, they don't see themselves in the sexual health education that um, they get. So they don't think they're going to maybe end up having sex with someone who can get them pregnant. Um, and, and so they're not prepared when that happens. Right. Um, and, and there are other, you know, reasons that that pregnancy risk is higher, like they may be at higher risk for sexual abuse or sexual assault, which is also a key link to unintended pregnancy. Um, okay. So then how does this app work? So, so in this app, um, girls get, um, seven weeks of daily text messages, and it could be anywhere from five to 10 text messages a day, which seems like a huge amount, except that teens are on the phone all the time. And that's actually a really reasonable to small amount of messages. So it's kind of getting through all the other messages that they get. And these are messages about um, facts and information related to, you know, basic biology and healthy sexual relationships and just healthy relationships generally, making good decisions about if you're going to a party and like drinking and um, ways to protect yourself from not just pregnancy, but sexually transmitted infections. And um, what makes this different from other sort of teen pregnancy prevention interventions is that it's designed to speak to lesbian and bisexual girls um, and, and to address their realities. So, so we actually did these online focus groups in advance of developing the intervention to really talk to um, girls about their experiences, how they make decisions related to sex, what they think about. And we listened to the way they talked about things, their language, and we integrated that into the messages so that it's speaking with their voice. It's hearing from other girls like them. It's providing information about healthy sexual behaviors, preventing STIs if you're having sex with girls, as well as, preventing pregnancy and STIs if you're having sex with guys or right. with folks who, who can cause a pregnancy. Well, it's so fascinating, Dr. Say, because it, it sounds like it's so simple, but it works. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, it, in some ways it's simple. In other ways, it's not that simple because we actually used a years of experience working in health promotion to be able to create this messaging. Um, but we, um, we tested it against a randomly assigned group of girls who got a different set of text messages, same amount, but over that same time period, which was um, around nutrition and physical exercise and not smoking and drinking and things like that. So other good health messages, but only one week out of those seven actually had anything to do with sexual health and it wasn't tailored for uh, lesbian and bisexual girls' realities. And what we found was that among the girls, um, early on, like five months after the intervention, um, we saw definite differences in terms of um, girls who had been part of the intervention actually were more likely to use protection when they had sex. They were less likely to, somewhat less likely to have sex. And um, while we didn't, there were too few pregnancies in the group during the time that we followed them to actually statistically determine that it prevented pregnancy, it was favored in the group that had the intervention compared to the one that just got the sort of like 
generic right. health. Um, and in fact, um, even 12 months after, and you know, this is a thing, most um, health interventions, especially like the, the e-health ones, like text messaging or other um, digital interventions, don't follow people for very long. You know, maybe you're lucky if you get up to six months. We followed them for a full 12 months after the intervention was done. And we still found that lesbian and bisexual girls who got the intervention were significantly more likely to protect themselves and to have less sex. That's amazing that that could work so effectively like that. Dr. Sayoka, thank you so much for your time on that. Yeah, um, we're happy to do it. Yeah, great to have you here. That's Dr. Elizabeth Sayoka, who's a UBC nursing professor who was part of a team of people, including uh, her colleague who was down in San Clemente, California. Uh, They developed this app that they found was more effective at promoting healthy sexual decision-making among high-risk teen girls in the U.S. and Canada. Something so simple, yet so effective. This is Mornings with Simi. Yes, time for us to talk about all soccer. And Vanny Saratini is with us, coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps. Morning, coach. Morning, Simi. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How's the team doing? Uh, team's doing well. We are. Uh, we had a little very busy week. We went to Honduras in uh, on Monday. We played there Wednesday for the Champions League. It went well. We qualified, and now we are in LA preparing the game for tomorrow. And that's how? Wait a minute. You played last Saturday too. Yeah, we played last Saturday. And you, and you played the Wednesday Dallas. and the Wednesday before that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the Saturday and the weekend before that too. So these are a yeah. lot of games that are going on right now. Yeah, we. Uh, so tomorrow will be our fifth game in uh, fifteen days. So it's been, uh, I would say, uh, a demanding stretch, but. Uh, the uh, team responded uh, quite well. Uh, we hope to finish on a nine note tomorrow. Okay, let's talk about that game tomorrow then. You're going down to uh, Los Angeles? Yes, yes, yes. We play the Galaxy. That is a good team, but uh, they didn't start very well. They have their home opener, so it's going to be hard because, of course, they want to, I would say, show their fans that, uh, you know, they deserve their support. So we're there to try to, <laughs> try to ruin, ruin their, that. Their there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can say it. That's okay. You're there to try yeah. to ruin that for the other team. We appreciate that. Uh, how important is it for you when the schedule is this busy, Coach? Like, how do you make sure that the players also get some rest? Well, we... We were able to do some rotations, especially Wednesday. We we because the the first uh, we won pretty easily the first leg of the Champions League. We we were able also to make some rotation and to rest some players. We uh, really literally we analyze everything about nutrition, sleep uh, after every travel. We have to consider how much training you, you do. And uh, at the end, uh, you, know, you try to, to do your best to not uh, overload the players. And, uh, you know, um, and sometimes you just ask them like tomorrow, hey, guys, after that, you're going to have two days off. So come on, let's give, let's take the last uh, right. drip of energy that you have and go 100%. Right, because this was pretty, you were going all the way to Honduras, and then you come back, and now you're going to Los Angeles. So that's a lot of travel. So were there some players that you said needed a bit of a rest here? 
Yeah, you know, well, like uh, Wednesday, we didn't we didn't travel uh, six players to Honduras, and uh, these the guys stayed in Vancouver to train, and they reached out here in LA yesterday in order to have fresher legs, both in Honduras and uh, uh, and here, and uh, yeah, so we will uh, uh, rely on uh, more on these guys tomorrow that uh, they come uh, with uh, I would say less minute and. Less hours on the plane. Yes. If, uh, in the last two weeks, uh, I, I would have been. I would. I could have collect uh, air miles. Uh, I, I could go. I don't know around the world now. Yeah, you could actually <laughs> probably with all that flying you've been doing. So if you're in Los Angeles now, then uh, where do you go for pizza? There. What is the place? Well, you know, Los Angeles is that big that uh, we are in, uh, in Manhattan Beach. There's a there's a kind of place that is called. Uh, I, I went here uh, uh, last year. It's called North Italia, and it's not bad actually. So I think I'll probably I'll probably go there for pizza tonight. Wait a minute! <laughs> if you're saying it's not bad, maybe you should find another place. Like I know, I know, I know. But last time that I went, uh, we had a good result. So, oh. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're too suspicious. You have too much superstition to go somewhere else. Well, uh, you don't want to break the spell, right? and uh, of, of course, if the pizza if the pizza wasn't good at all, you would have changed. But right. if it's okay, it's okay. Have, you know what? You should do like a, a travel guide. You ever thought about doing yeah. that? Because people must be so curious about all these places yeah. where you go. <laughs> yeah, I'll do. We'll do. We'll do it. Yeah, keep asking me every time, I'm and going then to. maybe we'll okay. do. We'll do a montage at the end of the season. Okay, so that's Manhattan <laughs> Beach, and the place is. Called, what do you order? Do you have like? The, do you order the same thing when you go every single time, or do you try something different? No, no, no. But uh, you know, it depends on the spur of the moment. But uh, I'm I'm not for uh, having a, an elaborate uh, like. Uh, 15 ingredients on my pizza, so it's kind of simple. Maybe it's like it's mushroom. Maybe uh, I add some olives. And the fact that I'm vegetarian, so that's uh, that uh, reduces my option too. <laughs> okay, so you go for the napolitana, like you want the nice. Yeah. Also, yeah, but yeah, but uh, margherita. That's very very simple. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. This is all good to know. And what are, what's the sock situation? Do you have new socks to wear for t- the game? I brought some some of these uh, of the uh, like lucky socks, but they're not new. So let's see let's see how they work. Uh, they work <laughs> like uh, well, they have a, the one the one the one that I have tonight. They have a beaver on. So they they they, they told me that it's the Canadian national. That sounds right? very Canadian. Yes, that sounds very <laughs> Canadian. We'll go for that. Well, it sounds like it's worked for you uh, for the yeah. last week and a half or so. So fingers yeah. crossed on that, Coach. Thanks for joining us this morning. Fantastic. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good luck with the game. That is Manny Sartini, coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps. I love his superstitions and his rituals that he does before the game, right? Has to have the lucky socks, has to go to the same place. And he has a different, you know, pizza, a great Italian place in every city that they travel to. And I am going to start asking him about that because you don't know, you might find yourself in Manhattan Beach and think, I'm going to go to that place that uh, Coach Sartini told us all about. Uh, So yes, the Vancouver Whitecaps are in action this weekend. They are playing the Galaxy. It is the Galaxy's home opener. And so the Whitecaps are looking to spoil that. This is Mornings with Simi.
going to be hearing a lot of that today because, of course, it is St. Patrick's Day. And for the first time since 2019, it's going to be full on. No restrictions, no nothing. So you can imagine, or at least I imagine, that the bars and restaurants out there are getting ready for the onslaught. Jeff Guinard joins us now, the executive director of BC's Alliance of Beverage Licensees. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Simi, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Same to you. You sound happy because I would imagine this is going to be a pretty good day. Well, there's a couple of things. First off, we're all a little bit Irish on St. Patrick's Day, aren't we? Uh, so absolutely, it's a good day. And for the hospitality industry here in British Columbia, St. Patrick's Day is one of our single biggest and most exciting days of the year. So wherever you choose to celebrate, uh, um, you know, at your neighborhood pub or bar or restaurant, or even if you celebrate at home, uh, it's going to be a good day for an industry. And I think everybody could use a little little break right now to relax, don't you? I agree with you wholeheartedly, but let's um, let's go back a couple of years here. I think really yeah. this it was this day three years ago that the pandemic really hit home because there was no St. Patrick's. That was the day everything got shut down. Jeff, what was that like for you? Yeah, if you remember back in 2020, it was March 16th. I remember I was on the phone with a, a business owner at around 5.30 and they had employed about 600 people in a bunch of pubs across the city and they were telling me when they hung up the phone with me, they were hitting the button to close down the company. A half an hour later, the mayor of Vancouver canceled St. Patrick's Day. I didn't know that was something a mayor could do at the time, but it was, and it was the right thing to do. But it ended up being the beginning of a couple of years of deep financial pain for our industry. And industry is not out of it yet, although from all practical purposes, it seems the pandemic is behind us. We are still dealing with the financial ravages of that in our industry and still dealing with the debt we had to take on. And now we're in a spot where with rising costs and the same inflationary pressures that British Columbians feel in their own lives, we're experiencing in our businesses. So it's been a tough, tough couple of years. This year, though, we're turning all of that anxiety and you know, the fear that happened during those past couple of years into a day of celebration. So when you go to pubs and bars today, you'll see lots of promotions and food and drink specials. Uh, and it should be a really exciting time. And there's no restrictions in place. You can dance. You, you know, Masks are utterly optional and up to individual tastes. So it should be a good day to, to relax and put a, kind of close that chapter of our society. How big is the economic boost from a day like today, from St. Patrick's Day? It's huge. So the way it works in the hospitality industry, and it's the same in every industry, we have cycles, right? I mean, some months are better than others. You can imagine December, January, we, we do quite well, bringing a lot of revenue uh, later January and February, it's, uh, you know, people are usually tightening their wallets after the holidays and we don't get as many customers in. So the money you make on something like St. Patrick's Day, where it's one of our best days of the year, helps sustain you until we get back to patio season again. So it's ups and downs. So having a good day today is an essential lifeline for a lot of those businesses out there. So if you have a lot of a favorite neighborhood pub or bar in your area, uh, they're probably celebrating St. Patty's today and we'd love to see you out. Okay, I didn't realize, like, I knew patio season was a big deal. I myself am fond of patio season, but I didn't realize it's mm-hmm. that much of a game changer. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you can imagine, I mean, no one goes out or fewer people go out in something like February. Uh, and we don't have as many seats when we can't put you outside. So when patio season comes, it essentially you know, it increases our capacity by 25 30%, 50% in some cases, depending on how your business is structured. And then a lot more people like to go out for, you know, an after-work drink or uh, to meet and gather with their, their friends for dinner. So it, it's huge for us. Uh, but St. Patrick's Day is kind of sandwiched right in between those two sort of you know, seasons for us. And it often can be the single largest and most profitable day, which is why you see so many places having special programming. This St. Patrick's Day will also note that you know we know times are tough for British Columbians, obviously. 
uh, and it, everyone's wallets are feeling squeezed right now. Um, but I know that industry is preparing for that, uh, and we were making sure that we've got lots of options and food and drink specials for customers so that they can find something that works for them. So it should be a really exciting day out there. I would imagine, yeah. Okay, so is is it beer? Is it all about beer today, um, Jeff? What are people doing? What are they drinking? Oh, it's all over the place. I mean, you'll see a lot of uh, establishments are preparing with green beer or special cocktails they prepared for the day. Uh, what businesses will typically do is they try and adapt their model uh, and their entertainment and their food options to whatever they think their local customers are. Now, tourists have not come back to the city yet in the way that they had prior to the pandemic. So some of the more kitschy sort of St. Patrick things may or may not be happening. It just depends on what those customers are. Uh, but if you go to your neighborhood pub, I'm sure you'll find a lot of Guinness sales today uh, and a lot of Irish whiskey. Those typically fly off the shelf. Okay, so tourists haven't come back, even though everything is kind of done and lifted and all of that? They're still not the same numbers? Oh, uh, not at all. No, we are still dealing uh, with, with some constraints on our industry. And it comes down to there are generally fewer customers. Tourists have not returned to our economy the way they have pre-pandemic, although it's trending absolutely in the right direction. We're also still dealing with a, a serious labor shortage. And I, I, you and I have talked about it several times, but we are about 80% of what industry's capacity should be. Uh, every pub bar that I know of is hiring right now. Liquor stores are hiring. Uh, the difficulty for us is we're about 30,000 workers short, which means that sometimes we want to fill up the restaurant, the pub, the bar, but we don't have enough people in the kitchen, for example, to service the entire place. So we're still operating with some handcuffs on, uh, but we are we are coming out of that and having a good day today uh, and being able to kind of celebrate with our customers is going to make a big difference. Right. People have been pretty understanding of that, I find, haven't they, Jeff, though? Because we know that there's a labor shortage on, and if the restaurant hours, the, the hours aren't the same as they used to be, well, that's all you can do. Yeah, generally, people have been quite uh, understanding, which we really appreciate, because also our staff on the front lines of the pandemic, and you'll remember the days when I was always saying that the hardest job in the hospitality industry was being a host or hostess at a restaurant because customers would come in and yell at them about some public health protocols that we were legally obliged to follow. All of that's behind us now. And it seems that customers understand that we are doing our best to put our best foot forward and to make sure that everyone's having as good of experience as they can. I mean, we're the hospitality industry, right? It is our, our whole goal and purpose to serve our customers. So today, is uh, we know we're going to be busy, so if it takes a couple of extra minutes to get your pint of Guinness or your, your shot of Jameson's, please be patient. Uh, we're doing our best as well. <laughs> That's such good advice for today. Uh, Jeff, yeah. thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. And the last thing I'll say is no matter where you choose to celebrate, please do choose to celebrate responsibly today. That's exactly what I was going to say. Thank you so much for that. That is Jeff Guignardi, Executive Director of BC's Alliance of Beverage Licensees. Yes, if you are going to celebrate today and imbibe, uh, please make sure you have a safe way home that doesn't involve you driving.